Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I am Celine Yeager, and as always, with me is my co-host Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. What is up? Dude. Besides everything. <laughs> I know. Dude. What a crazy time. Yeah. I mean, COVID-19. So, yeah. sea otter is off. I know. NAMS is postponed. Well, I mean, they're both postponed. Right. And the race this weekend uh, uh, in Italy, which one? The classic. Milano. That's not this weekend. Oh, wait. When, no, that's later. Yeah. It's still it's still in state of flux. No, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Both of us. Time blanks. Yeah. That Italian spring classic that's coming this weekend that will come to us in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, mm, yeah. I, I saw a photo this morning of St. Mark's place in Venice. Mm -hmm. And it was a a shot out on the, the tables of that restaurant that, you know, seats everyone al fresco empty, empty. And I mean, St. Mark's that's always like teeming with people. It's like a, a, a school of salmon or something. And it was empty. You could see that all the chairs were red. Oh boy. Yeah. That's like, Chilling, right? Um, it's just chilling. It really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the encouraging piece in my mind is that, you know, this started in December, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it things are rolling back up to business in China, you know, even in the most affected parts as we speak, which is encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that it's, yeah, yeah, it's scary. I think sea otter makes sense. You know, it's a big, it's a, it's a big international thing. Well, if they didn't have that expo, but, I would go, huh? Cause racers wouldn't show up sick. I don't think generally yeah. speaking, but that expo, that is a big mass of humanity. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like <laughs> a big frat party. I mean, you are, place. yeah, you are, you are bumping elbows with people all day long there. Mm-hmm. Um, and but seventy thousand people. I mean, it's a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and you've got and four I think, days, so there's yeah. a chance to spread rather significantly. North American, the the handmade bike show is kind of that's a giant thing too, right? Like it's dwarfed by sea otter. I mean, you're you're talking south of ten thousand people. Is it south of ten thousand? Yeah, over three okay. days. I think it has broken 10,000 a couple times, but I think generally yeah. it's south of 10,000. Um, I think they're still looking at anything over like 5,000 seems to be this strange little cutoff that people, yeah. you know, are, um, are pinning their, their events onto like, you know, is it international? Is it like 5,000 people or more? Uh, you know, I'm going to mid South next week and that's, you know, on a schedule and that's, Three thousand, I guess, total, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh I'm, you know, I mean, I'll I'll use common sense, but I'm not unduly concerned. Uh, I, as far as I know, Dirty Cans, I've talked to them. They they're they're still, you know, operating as though all systems are a go. So it'd be interesting. I mean, it's interesting to watch all this. I mean, the stuff in Italy makes it so that's one of those hotbeds. So right, you know. But if what you're saying is accurate about the arc of operations returning to normal. They're starting we're, to roll. Yeah. Yeah. So we're three months out from when it started three months from now is right about the time of dirty Kanza. Um, and so, you know, if things get really screwy here in the U S then early June, things should just be getting heading back toward normal. I would hope. And that's, that's, that's making the 
That's assuming. I mean, I I'm I'm not. I'm going to qualify that I'm not an expert on this subject, but from what I have read, you know, all the different scenarios, um, that is assuming that it follows the same arc that it followed in China, which it very well may not here, mm-hmm. you know, for for multiple reasons. But you know, there's also uh, some people talking about like how these. Uh, follow a seasonal arc too, you know, if things are warming up here and yeah. that plays, you know, that plays a factor too for the positive from what I understand. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it, it, there's unknowns upon unknowns upon unknowns. So everyone's just, you know, grappling with the things they do know and trying right. to overlay them and try to figure out like what the different scenarios might be. But yeah. Well, and then one of the other thoughts that I had, because I'm, I, I like to run out, you know, the, the chessboard four or five moves down the road. So there's talk of putting sea otter next October. Yeah. Well, we're not getting a whole lot of rain in Northern California right now. Oh dear. I hadn't even thought of that. I thought, don't put it on unpaved, which was my, you know, my selfish thought, but, uh, but yeah, that's a more, that's a better thought. (laughs) Like that's a more substantial thought you've got right there. Yeah. To have the Monterey Peninsula (sighs) bathed in smoke would not be so dynamite. I mean, that that alone could cause a cancellation. Yeah. And also I was also thinking all those people who could potentially cause a fire. I mean, you've got, you know, there's, there's, Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of variables. Uh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and then does it just go on as in April as planned six months later? Do you know, like that's a, that's kind of an odd scenario in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, you know, at that point you've, you know, just the financial implications of the postponing and all that, and you know, what people have clawed back from what they paid and, all that stuff. It, I mean, that would be, uh, I don't want to say ruinous, but a challenge, a serious challenge. Yeah. And it's also changes the, the whole gestalt of sea otter, which is a season opener Mm -hmm. where you see new things for the, you know, I mean, it's, it's become that and to have it in October, you're seeing things that I would imagine we've already seen at that point, as far as the exhibiting. No, is I, I don't disagree with you, but I would suggest that sea otter has become such an event unto itself that you could put it the week after Christmas and people would still show up. It would still. Yeah. Be yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Especially since it's such a, I, I, I come into it from my uh, industry mindset, but it's such a consumer driven uh, event that you're correct. It doesn't, that wouldn't have the same impact on it. And I would be willing to bet that there are any number of bike companies who want the buzz of, you know, the media buzz and consumer buzz of sea otter. And I could see people sitting on a product release for six months. Really? Yeah. I hmm. think some wouldn't, they'd be dependent on those dollars. They've, they've spent all that money on development and they're not going to wait. I could see that, but I could see other companies going, mm, we're going to wait until we get the splash. I could be really wrong though. I mean, that happens four or five times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now we're all just speculating, but yeah, I mean, no matter how we speculate it is big news and it's, it's big news that is continuing to be big news and will until it's not right until, until something happens that it starts to not uh, take this course that everyone's worried about or, you know, whatever happens. So are there any, uh, any patients with the coronavirus where you are? No. We, we, have, I was out by, I was there yeah. when they, when it was on the news, I was like, oh, I'm right where like patient one is or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Patient one was a little south, but we do have one here in Sonoma County. Somebody taken yeah. off that cruise ship in Japan. Um, so I've got a doctor friend who works in the ER and I'm just waiting for her first post on Facebook where, She's like, okay, I'm going to wrap myself in cellophane now. Let us all know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll pass on the good news. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Moving right along, I got to see you recently. You did. That was exciting. 
Yeah, yeah that was a. Uh, um, yeah, that was cool. I was out for uh, a canyon. Bicycle canyon clothing, just a general canyon uh, press trip of sorts. Pretty low key. And they I was actually initially offered to fly back on Friday, but they're like, oh, but there's a grasshopper if you want to hang around. And I was like, well, <laughs> like I have flown across the nation. Um, <laughs> like what? Like, why wouldn't I hang out one more day to like see an infamous grasshopper? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody misspells duh. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was that was just a no brainer. That was just a and uh, and it was it was cool. So it was great to finally um, experience that. It was just a uh, not just I want to say just, but this one was all pave, all pavement. Strictly. Yes. Which it is not normally. Correct. Because. Right. Of that one hill that I did a couple of days prior that had like a big tree down and a landslide on part of the road. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, n- traditionally, there were two different sections of dirt. There was the climb uh, up. What is it? Duncan Road. Uh, the climb. Oh, the climb up Old Casadero. Duh. And then the descent to Austin Creek and then the climb back out and you drop into Casadero, the town where I, we. I did that onto, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, split on yeah. Fort Ross because we turned then, by like an Indian restaurant or something. We turned left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, then the final climb of the day traditionally was up Willow Creek, that dirt road. Okay. Yeah. And I haven't been on it this year, so I don't know what kind of shape it is in currently. But that may be a thing that happens this weekend. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'm. I miss that road. I really like it a lot. No matter how bad the shape is, it's in. But yeah, there's a, there's a big redwood down on it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And I think, I think we kind of, I think we might've done that too. We did a bunch of stuff with our little group before we came out to the grasshopper in those three days proceeding. Yeah. It sounds like you did some fun stuff that I haven't even done. Yeah. Super fun stuff. We did uh, like just these great single track trails that were, were perfect for uh, gravel bikes. You know, just techie enough to sort of keep you on your toes here and there, but just ripping, ripping fun, super fun. Uh, Peter Stetno was out with us and, you know, it was a lot of the stuff that he rides. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I, you know, I just, I would like to take this opportunity now. What is it? Two years? How long have we been doing this that you've been talking about grasshoppers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah two, two years we've been doing this. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Well, you've been, you've been talking about them longer, but two years <laughs> since that, that. So I'd like to explain to my East Coast listeners uh, what, because <laughs> like, I've had people. You need um, to translate now? Oh, I, yeah. I've had a couple of people be like, what the hell is a grasshopper? Like, what can you explain? Because, I mean, you talk about them, but they're just like, they can't, they, you know, they, I want to put it in, in perspective. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I'll use a classically hard East Coast gravel ride that I know, and it's uh, called the Lulaka Waiko Hundo, which is a, a mouthful. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Uh, I can't. Uh, but it's named after uh, Luzerne County, Lackawanna County, Wycombe County, and it's 100 miles. So it's like three different counties, northern Pennsylvania. The first time I did this ride, I'll tell you how remote it was. First time I did it, uh, there were only six Strava segments for 108 miles. <laughs> and they right? were 20 miles long each, right? No, no. And like there were just like maybe not even 10 people who had done them. You know, that is <laughs> how. That's uh-huh. how remote that like that nobody was up there doing anything. And the Pat Engelman, uh, the, the guy who was born and raised up there. And it, it's a very, I liked it because it's very similar. The, the storylines are very similar to Miguel, who's like, when I read his webpage, his rides are in the spirit of, of the things that he did in his own discovery, right? On the bicycle. Like, yeah. that's what started this, is that he would ride this stuff and then put these rides together and decided to start this, this series based off of his own journey, and Pat Engelman, who puts on this ride that I'm talking about, is a very similar thing. Like he grew up and he would take his bike and ride like through this like crazy little bit of single track between neighborhoods, you know, and then bounce out and go up a hill behind a church 
and then go down around a lake. And like he literally put together this ride with like 300 people. Now I don't know how 500 are going to do it. We all like go up this little hill behind this church and jump over the sidewalk and go through town. Um, so it's, it's cool. And then it's just these. These uh, really it's lots and lots and lots of dirt and lots and lots of hills. It's not it's not as paved as the one that we did, but the, the spirit and stuff is somewhere. But anyway, so it's the. The Lulakawaiko Hundo is like 100 miles-ish, almost always 10,000 feet of climbing, sometimes more, sometimes a hair less. Uh, the Super Sweetwater, which was the grasshopper this past weekend, was 90 miles and 8,000 feet. Is that about right? Well, the race itself was like 65. Yeah, I, the, yeah that's a weird part of it that I don't even... The, the, there's like a segment that's 65 miles that everyone races and then it finishes on top of this hill and then everyone just rides 25 miles home, which is a strange format in my to wrap my head around. Yeah. So there's a reason for that, which is that the town of Occidental, where this event used to start and finish, has gotten vaguely hostile to the grasshoppers. Uh. And it's mostly due to the parking because people would mm. come in, park, be gone for five, six hours you know, and eat up all the parking spots in town. And then the businesses were like, you know, burn the cars down. Gotcha. gotcha. And so now, so last year, the event uh, started in Healdsburg, but still finished up there. But everybody parked in uh, Sebastopol and rode to the start in Healdsburg. I can't say this was any better or worse. It was just different. We started and finished okay. in Healdsburg. Gotcha. Uh, so there was a some degree of simplification of logistics, I think, but it's it's a bummer not to have the the reasonably straightforwardness. So we would park in Occidental, ride to Riverfront Park, or no, sorry, ride. There was a different park. We would ride to that. It was like ten miles away, and uh -huh. it would start there. Uh -huh. You'd have had a nice, easy little warm up, right. and then you you'd race to the top of Willow Creek or Coleman Valley, whichever was depending on how wet that year was right and then all you'd have to do is ride back to occidental which at that point was only a few miles away gotcha yeah okay but i mean when i look at the whole ride i mean i i can't i look at the whole ride as so it was the whole ride that i did barring any segments was 90 miles and eight thousand feet of vertical because you have to get up those hills no matter if you're racing them or not it doesn't uh -huh. yeah yeah it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't much matter so both of them fall around that sort of like like one to one golden ratio, like that, like where you get a hundred feet of climbing for every 10 miles, you know, that, that I think yeah. is a benchmark for what I would call a, a hilly ride, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, yeah. A hundred feet a mile is, is that, that's, that's the standard. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the big difference in, in my mind is how those vertical miles are delivered. Like at a ride, like, like Lulaka here, you know you're going to hit a bunch of steep stuff, um, but you also know that it'll be over in about two miles, usually less, mm. because the hills aren't that long. Um, so this grasshopper was equally bumpy, but the bumps are bigger with longer stretches of flat between them. So, like, I would take an elevation profile, like everyone is seeing here, of the Lulaka, and it looks like the inside of a great white shark you know exactly just tons of teeth lots of lots of edges um but if you ironed that out and stacked the climbs on top of one another so it resembles a mountain lion's jaw uh with a couple giant pointy bits to tear your legs off instead of lots of little teeth mm -hmm. uh that's about how i would i would describe the two as how they are different and we don't have ocean views or redwood forests uh either <laughs> look, at him gloating. <laughs> look at him gloating um we also don't have the gusts of wind that come off the ocean that almost oh, blow grief. you off your bike but that's another or the loony descents i mean we have a lot of descents here but whenever i'm in that part of california particularly i am a little mystified by how they do descending I can't figure out the like camber. A, it's like there throwing is a rope one. over the side of a building. You know, because it, it, sometimes the bike feels like it wants to go right off the road. Sometimes it feels like it wants to go on to the other. Like, it's just like, I feel like I'm in a tilted house. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Going mm -hmm. going straight down uh, something, a ramp in a tilted house. Mm -hmm. It's a really strange, uh, strange sensation. Yeah. 
I mean, particularly, I, I, you know, I know especially the the single most disconcerting experience you had out there was on Myers Gray because you've got a couple of right hand bends that are off camber and reasonably blind at that, and the pavement's not smooth either. Well, right, right, yeah, because because <laughs> I mean, why would you make it easy? Because giant trees have the roots underneath there or something like it. it There's some of that. Yeah. The grains of thing. Um, Yeah. Super fun. I mean, it's not, it's not, if you stay within yourself, you're fine. I mean, I wouldn't go like just blindly letting it rip when I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, There was some guy with a retro setup whose tire blew off down that thing. His rear tire. Yeah. Sure. Cause he was dragging brakes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not really a good idea. But anyway, um, the overall vibe, I was surprised how chill it was, I got to say, in the in the beginning. It was, uh, you know, people are definitely there to race and there's uh, uh, some hard hitters in the front that were definitely there to make a statement. But uh, the whole thing was pretty, pretty low key. You know, I, th- I found the whole thing pretty low key. Uh, yeah. And, and I like that, uh, you know, it's challenging. It's like it's like my favorite kind of rides. It's challenging enough for you to be like, OK, this is. This is going to be pretty hard uh, and to force you to make some smart choices, you know, in your fueling and your your pacing. But it's not so hard that you're like, this is zero fun. You know, mm-hmm. like the, it's mm-hmm. it's it's still a very fun day. Uh, the ride has personality. I like rides with personality. It's super scenic. Uh, yeah. And it's just uh, it was uh, it was really happy to be to be able to come out and experience that. And I was I didn't know that they'd been going on. Uh, so long, uh, 20, yeah. 22 years or something yep. like that. Yep. 22 years. Yeah. So I don't know of any other mixed surface events or kind of dirt road bike events, time. gravel events yeah. that are as old anywhere in the country. Yeah. I was going to say, I, 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 I didn't do research on that, but just flipping through the Rolodex in my head, I can't think of any, you know, most of ours are. 15-ish, maybe? I mean, it might be... 22 is pretty far back there. hmm hmm And the funny thing is, talking to Miguel about, like, what they were running back then, it's like some of the guys were on cross bikes. Some oh, yeah. of the guys were on road bikes and just for trying sure. to cram 25s in there. And For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, and given the way some of those cats, like Miguel, can descend... It's like, I would really love to see video of what they were trying to do, say on a road like Willow Creek, go going down that uh, on a road bike, because there are just so many opportunities for a flat. Yes. You know, <laughs> when you're using something that small and that high pressure. That's yeah. all we knew, though. That's all mm-hmm. we knew. Yeah. That is like, you know, and if it rained and you had rim brakes, well, whatever. I mean, I guess you're going off the side of the road or, you know. Hopefully you'll slow down a bit, maybe. Yeah, uh, it was it was uh, super sweet water. As a matter of fact, that I I got through one year uh, and had such a lousy experience with rim brakes that I was like, okay, not doing that one with anything other than discs anymore. I could totally see that. I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. So, are you going to mention my screw up, or do I have to bring it up? You have to bring it up because oh. I don't even remember. <laughs> well, that whole bit where things broke up super bad right there at the start. And I was just trying oh. to get us back into the into the back of the group. And then we hit a hill and I came off and that was the last I saw you because I was a dummy. Well, it was super funny. I thought the whole time I'm like, oh, he probably thinks I'm such a jerk. And then I thought about all my other friends who know that I'm such a jerk. So I did the thing with Patrick that I do a lot of times where I'm like, I'm just going to roll easy and it's fine. And you said you were going to roll easy, but then you went like a bat out of hell. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's on. And then I just took off. And that was not the end of the assessment. <laughs> all you were doing was sitting at the back of the group. You cannot be accused of anything untoward. Okay. You did not I, attack. You did not. You didn't do anything remotely antisocial. And okay, good. Because I, I felt like I did, and I'm I'm perfectly capable of doing so. <laughs> no, I could see your gray vest there at the at the back of the uh, the little group of whatever that was, a dozen or so. I noticed that your head wasn't looking to the side, wondering where I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I I wasn't said everybody ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but truly, I mean, that was all my fault. That was that was the fear. My amygdala like took over. It's like, dude, get in the back of the group. Other, otherwise, you're going to lose that toe to the foot of the climb. We were going like 21 miles an hour. I'm like, is this Patrick's chill pace? I'm in so much trouble. Like my legs were so tired from like the three days prior. And I'm like, oh, this will be great. We're just going to like, I was like, zoom. And I was like, okay, it's on. This is what we're doing. He said he's going to go as fast as he can to the like, through the segment. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I had no, I had no frame of reference. Yeah. And I'm very, yeah. I'm very, um, uh, inflective. Like if you, if you push a button, I just go. <laughs> <laughs> You're like my kids, Nerf guns, pow. Right. right, right. Yeah. I just, but <laughs> yeah. So you were just trying to get us to the back of the group because you knew what was coming. See, I hadn't even looked at the profile, so I didn't know what was coming. I had no idea that giant freaking thing was coming up right then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just wanted the free toe which I was completely blowing because we spent like five miles trying to get to the back of the group. And it, you know, you got 10 miles to the first climb. It's like, okay. But yeah, it was right about the hill that I came off where I thought this is silly. We need to back off the pace. Now we're not going to get to the back of the group. Let's just ride. And then it was like, Oh, hmm, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's just one of those things like, you know, if I had just, uh, inhaled or, or something, you know, hit my thigh with my fist or something and backed off. We could have had a really fun day together. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I had a fun day with Austin. Somebody, I found another friend. Sorry. Yeah. Which was yeah. cool. Cause I actually haven't seen him since we did the tour of California route a few years back. Um, oh, okay. So it was, it was a, we did actually have a, a lovely day catching up, but yeah, well, I'm glad that it wasn't just me since I was just like, oh, he probably thinks I'm such a jerk, but no, no, it's like, oh, know. I started it. I said I was going to do something and that didn't seem like the thing that I said I was going to do, but I was just trying to protect us for the first few miles and look what I've done now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I will say there were an awful lot of people who recognized you. And I know plenty of people came up to you, but people were coming up to me. They're like, Celine's here. <laughs> it's funny how many people were like, are you Celine? Cause they heard me talking, you know? Yeah. Like, so there was just be like, I know that voice. It was just funny to be in another environment and have people like, I know that voice. Yeah. 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 And I guess, yeah, the, and I met people along the way for sure. Yeah. Cool. We should probably, you know, like just give a shout out to everybody who bothered to say hi to us. You know, thanks. It's it's nice to have people, you know, recognize our voices for, from the show. It's funny. Yeah. I was talking to one guy and he's like, you got to you got to give me a second. It's kind of freaky, like having you actually respond to me. I'm so used to hearing your voice come out of speakers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was one woman who she was like, oh, I guess no show. I'm like, you can just listen to me talk. <laughs> 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 I'll just give it to you now. <laughs> right, right. We can just talk. It's going to be about yeah. this. So, yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, one of the great things, I mean, the thing that I really missed out on, you know, was a chance to like talk about some of the places that we were going through and, you know, what I've learned about some of those locations and right. that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I've got a friend who sent the KOM going down Myers grade, the craziest of the descent. It was over 60 miles an hour, his top speed. Ah, yeah. I can't even. I, I'm i unable to let my bike run more than about 40 now. Back before my crash, I hit like 45 once. Uh, and a buddy of mine hit 55 that day. On that descent. Yeah. Because I've, I've hit 52 on big, not windy climbs in Montana. You know, like where you can <laughs> see forever and there's no ocean gusts throwing you into God knows what. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And to be fair, Saturday was one of the two windiest days I've ever encountered. I'm there. glad to hear that. Cause it was windy. It yeah. was, I, I was like, wow, is it always like this? Cause it was, <laughs> no, it is not it always like that. Really windy. Yeah. Yeah. One of the rollers there on highway one, just as I crested it, I could, I could feel the push. You could hear it too. Yeah. yeah. You could, you could hear it and you could feel it like the hand of God pushing you up some of those things. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have it when it was on your back. It was a mirror, like amazing. 
it was yeah. pretty good. But the wild thing was like, so there was that, that strong, solid wind that was giving me a push as I crested the hill. And then all of a sudden a gust hit and I accelerated. <laughs> the wind made me accelerate. That's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, that's oh, cool. This is, that's cool. this is really strange. Yeah. And yeah, getting up the Coleman Valley, you know, you, you initially turn on the Coleman Valley climb and it's kind of sheltered there in the eucalyptus yeah, trees yeah. and whatnot. Yep. And then you ride out of that and it's like, oh, this again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't hear myself think again, but yeah. yeah, that was fun. It was a good time. I'm I'm glad I finally got to uh, get out there and see what, what the scene looked like. And I'm, I'm really stoked that, you know, you, yeah, you got to meet some folks and yeah, meet Miguel and mm-hmm. yeah, get a taste of this. Uh, maybe next time we'll ride together. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> We're going to take a short break for our sponsor, Shimano, and we'll be right back. At Shimano, we love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we are back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what do you have this week? I have an admission, Celine. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, to be honest, I've been struggling to give myself permission to go for rides lately. I've been hmm. busy-ish and uh, just had some other things going on. I'm in a really good space mentally. I mean, we've covered that. Yep. Uh, but there have been any number of weeks recently where I've only gotten in two or three rides. Uh, certainly not enough to chase the likes of you around. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, that said, I think I'm getting better. I'm getting on top of it is what I'll say. Uh, I did get a three hour mountain bike ride in yesterday. It was awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. My my arms were flamed at the end. Too long to mm. sense. Yeehaw. The reason I bring this up is that I've had conversations with a couple of friends recently about their struggle to balance the needs of their cycling life with the needs of a relationship. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll wait until you're done. Go ahead. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I mean, this is something that I've got major empathy for. My riding was a source of tension in my marriage. And that was even after I cut my riding by 50% from what it had been prior to the birth of my second son. Something I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't immediately, yeah, toy boat. Something mm. I didn't immediately appreciate was how that cut in time on the bike really contributed to my depression and mm-hmm. my spiral into it. And you know, there I was spiraling into depression and I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't think mm-hmm. that's what depression looked like. And as a result, I had trouble giving myself permission to ride because I wasn't feeling great about myself, even as I knew that I was in need of a ride for my sanity. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about flow on the show several times. Uh, for those who may need a recap, it's an optimal state of performance. You at your very best. What your brain does is a response uh, that really results in an altered state of consciousness. I recall that one neuroscientist I interviewed about flow told me that if the neurochemicals that make up flow could be packaged in a single pill, it would be a more 
effective antidepressant than any currently on the market. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I mentioned this because cycling, even without achieving a flow state, does routinely cause minor amounts of dopamine, endorphins, and serotonin to be released. Now, I know that because I'm talking to cyclists, the selling of the psychological benefits of cycling to cyclists <laughs> is maybe preaching to the choir. The thing that's on my mind are the conversations that happen between significant others when the topic of how much someone rides comes up. And trust me, I get that if you are putting in 20 hours a week training to race in the master's category, that much time can be maybe a little difficult to defend from a standpoint of mental health. But the riding, the the benefits of riding, say, six to 10 hours a week are really significant and difficult to argue with, at least in my mind. In talking with friends, the appeal that I've advocated is to ask their partner for some empathy, to try to see how the writing isn't just some escape, but a valuable psychological reset. And I mean, the thing is, really, I've had conversations with a number of friends in like the last two weeks where for whatever reason, maybe it's the rise in, in spring training hours. Uh, but this is, this has been an issue for some of my friends lately. For some, it's, you know, been a, a standing issue for years. Some mm-hmm. it's kind of a new thing this year, but I keep thinking about how it confers a host of other benefits besides that, you know, there's memory consolidation after you've been studying some material, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it could be a work problem. It could be peace in the Middle East. Then there's the meditative aspect that allows us to chew on the thornier problems in our lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe our kids' well-being, maybe the state of a marriage or how to please an unhappy boss. The point to me is to try to offer a better, more grounded understanding of what we get out of cycling so that those who don't get it can begin to appreciate how valuable it is in concrete terms, something that they will understand. To me, it comes down to a simple question. If you love someone, don't you want them to be happy? And wouldn't you value the thing that contributes to their happiness in an identifiable and tangible way? My notion of what I have to offer in a relationship changed when I began to see that the degree to which I endorsed those things that bring my partner happiness increases my value as a partner. I became a point of validation for good self-care. Okay, that's a mouthful. I'll say it again. (laughs) My notion of what I have to offer in a relationship changed, improved, grew when I began to see that the degree to which I endorse those things that bring my partner happiness makes me a better partner. Mm-hmm. Now, Celine, mm-hmm. you've chased some pretty elite fitness on occasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know how you handle those conversations. Yeah, there's so much, so much, so much going on there. (laughs) There's so much going on there. I mean, it's, um, I, I, we, anybody who has, uh, who would call themselves a lifestyle cyclist or identifies as a cyclist in as one of their primary identifiers has all seen this or experienced this, right? Like everybody has, Mm -hmm. uh, where the, there's just like this misunderstanding of like, why do you have to be out for four hours? Like, why is the Saturday all got, you know, like, unless you're with, you know, I mean, I am married to another cyclist. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but even then, you know, that that's not all smooth sailing necessarily. So, you know, before my little venture into Ironman that springboarded me into this, you know, semi-professional mountain bike thing that I did for so long and like continues on now, even I'm not training. I mean, it's only been the past couple of years that I've, you know, hit the dial back intentionally mm-hmm. uh, for, for myriad reasons. But, you know, it, it, I, I was very fortunate in that my mother was uh, very close by when my daughter was in her younger years. So it wasn't as quite of a strain on just my husband. To take mm-hmm. it, you know, because I think whenever you're looking at that, there's a couple things going on. There's like the partners complaining because you're not spending time with them or you're burdening them with everything else that you 
that another person would be doing in the household. Right. Right. Like, if not both at the same time. Right. Right. Fair. Um, so I personally always try to make sure that I still did the stuff that I do in the house. You know, like mm-hmm. that we just have it's not like, oh, it's the women's work or anything, but we just sort of have a natural division of things that we take care of. Mm-hmm. And I just always made sure that I took didn't like let that go. And, but we both were on the same page that some stuff would just go. Like some stuff would just go by the wayside that the yard, the yard was never going to be perfect. The house was never going to be perfect. Like if you're always fighting those battles, I don't think you'll ever see eye to eye with sports to take up time like that. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think Mm -hmm. you'll ever like, those are just different value systems period in my mind. Uh, You know, but it's still hard. And I think communication is always really important. You know, for like for our situation, the hard part was that I, you know, I was, uh, it was harder for us to ride together because mm-hmm. I was training so much and, you know, and like getting faster. And, and it was, you know, there were times when he was like, I would like you to slow down because I miss you. And that was difficult, you know, like the, and those that needed discussion. And I, mm-hmm. I understood, but I also said, and I've said this many times, but I'm like, you know, when we, ha- when we hit those impasses, I was like, I've got to pursue this to the end or I'll, I'll resent you. And I'll resent this. Like I have, like, I'm not going to have these opportunities in another couple of years. Um, and those opportunities did present themselves longer than I thought they would. And I appreciate his patience in that. But I also like in, intentionally. Gradually made a concerted effort to not make it so intrusive, you know, like how can I even if it meant getting up at the ass crack of dawn and, you know, getting out there at 630 in the morning. So I was back at 1030 in the morning, you know, when everybody mm-hmm. in the household here was just like getting coffee and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That made it all way easier for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. it does. It takes, I mean, it takes, it's, you ask like how you discuss it, you discuss it. Like right. you have to have discussions. And so often I think a big of the part of the problem is that that doesn't happen. You know, that the conversations don't happen where I did, where someone says, this is important to me because, and I see that it, what it's causing, how can we, how can I make this better? How can I train it? Because it is important to me. Here is why. And then, mm-hmm. like, figure out what that looks like. And if it's not chasing elite level stuff, I mean, I, you know, today even I was like drowning in work and I'm like, I must get out for a ride. And it wasn't as much the training. It was more what you're saying. Like, I'm going to be a better person if even if I just get out for an hour today because mm-hmm. my head feels like it's going to pop off my body. Yeah. And I made it out and I was way better for it. And that's six to 10 hours. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's also not the end of the world. And that is, I do feel like there are health mental and physical benefits from that amount of physical activity that you should be able to have a meaningful conversation into how to fit that in, you know, without somebody feeling, you know, and, and often in these relationships too, it's like that unless you pick up the sport, which I've seen happen too, where there are two people who are together and then one of them discovers cycling, that sometimes is a problem because the person then is just like, wait, who are you now? Who are these people? Why are you gone all the time? But if you're kind mm-hmm. of been, that's who you are. And then all of a sudden there's like this need to change. I mean, children come into the mix, all kinds of things that eat up more time and attention. You just have to keep those conversations going yeah. and, and give people an endpoint. Like if you are, especially if you're going to train for something like Dirty Kanza, then you have to sit down and say, okay, this is what my schedule looks like. I know it looks terrible, but it ends mm-hmm. on May 30th. And I yeah. promise, like, I'm not going to become a career dirty cancer cyclist. And if I, if I decide I'm going to, then we have to have another discussion. But like, sometimes if you if you say, I just need your help so I can achieve this goal, then everyone's, you know, then you're part of a team and it's not mm-hmm. just you versus them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember. It's funny. I wasn't even racing, but I was doing some really long centuries and other Fondo type rides. And there was a point prior to kids where. Every spring, there would be basically six weeks to two months where I was recording 15 hours on the bike a week and up. Uh, There were a couple of times where I got in some 21 hour weeks and, you know, was really trying to be fit. And I would have a talk with, you know, my she was girlfriend, then wife, uh, fiance in there somewhere, I would have a conversation with her like, okay, the next three weeks, 
you got to bear with me. And then it will dial back. It will get calmer. But the next few weekends, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but yeah, once there were kids, I had to compromise more. I absolutely had to compromise more. And, you know, I accept that. The, the challenge, I think, you know, what I've heard from a, a couple of different friends is this sense of abandonment by hmm. spouses. And, you know, it makes me wonder when someone gets kind of super emotional about it. It's like, oh, is this like triggering something from earlier in their life? Uh, or are they ha- or are they feeling like you're having the the other people are getting the best of you and you're having the best of times with other people and you're coming home and not the best wrecked. of you and not having, you know, like that yeah. happens too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a fair point to address, you know, and then for people like you and me who don't work uh, to use James Thurber's uh, term into an office, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my, my Sunday ride with uh, my mountain bike club, out of which Miguel, who does the grasshoppers came, that's, it was an outgrowth of that club. My Sunday ride with those people, that's like the biggest single piece of my social life each week. Mm-hmm. I, I really want that ride. I want to see those yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that makes total sense. You know, but, but the ride leaves at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's a hard, that's a yeah. hard one. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, I, you know, I, I like my rides too, but like when it just eats up the entire day, it's, it's hard. Cause then a 10 o'clock ride is right in there. It just takes you <laughs> next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, you know? Yeah. 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 And so it's, it is a challenge. Um, yeah. you know, for me, you know, there's no more marriage, but now there's kid handoff. Yep. So, you know, I'm still in a position where I've got to be negotiable. That's life if you're not an island and none of us is an island. Yeah. Yeah. But it's communication, communication, communication. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. (laughs) I, it's been a challenge to me to, to hear friends in pain with this stuff. Uh, and you know, for them to be looking down the barrel of maybe I have to start writing less. Um, and yeah, your point exactly. Just communicate. Talk a lot. Talk a lot. Yeah. So. Alrighty, how about Paceline Picks? Sure. Mine is going to be the Canyon kit that I was riding in out there. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, um, Canyon, ha- they've always had clothes to my understanding, but they have not been available in the U.S. until uh-huh. recently. And it is really, really nice stuff. I was, you know, like sometimes when manufacturers have clothes, it's just like they're just okay. You know, I mean, they're, they're fine, but they're not special. But this yeah. stuff really felt like this, uh, this whole line had like really uh, nice details and there was a lot of attention to materials and features that, that make things, you know, go from good to great is the best way I, that I would describe it. Uh, you know, the, the jersey is, a lot of it is because a lot of it is very seamless or very minimally seamed, which is Ooh, nice. Uh-huh. It's, it's very... Uh, very well fitted without being binding or snug anywhere, you know, both the bibs and the the jersey. And the arm warmers and leg warmers are also seamless too, which I really appreciate. Holy cow. Because, yeah, uh, because I've gotten where, you know, little rub spots behind my knees and stuff from knee warmers that have the, the back seam and, and whatnot. Uh, really nice, you know, the, the stuff's merino wool. The arm warmers were very, they're warm, they're articulated. I, the, the orange of the Jersey, it's like the signature pro line. You could see that from space. It was like (laughs) amazing how, how visible and, and, but beautiful. It wasn't sort of like the day, you know what I mean? Like the neon Mm -hmm. of, it doesn't scream construction worker kind of thing. It's, it's very, it whispers it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) scream something else, but it's, uh, no, the the stuff is super nice. So it's 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 kind of cool, and it's all pretty reasonably priced. You know, the jerseys around one forty, and the bibs around two hundred. You know, it's like what you'd expect to pay for high end, but even maybe a little less for the for mm-hmm. the quality. I feel like it's being made. It's in Spain, and I'm gonna butcher the name. Exta. Oh, Echeando. E T X E. Yes. O N D O. Yeah. Echeando. Yes. Oh well. Now you've said all that I need to know. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, those people kill. 
you know, that's really nice stuff. Yeah, back in the early 2000s, they actually did a pair of bibs with a jacquard pattern in them. Hmm. These people wow. are ultra sophisticated. They're really Basques. Nice they're Basques. So they do their own thing. They're happy to give a finger to the rest of the world and what anybody else is doing. They will go their own way. And it results in stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. I was re- I was just really impressed because at first I was like, oh, OK, we're going to get team. And I like. Not that it would be bad, but I mean, oftentimes it's just fine. It's fine. You know, but it was uh, it was special. It was very, very. The clothing is very, very nice. Yeah. Wow. I'm I am impressed. I got to look into this now. I mean, I like what they do. Great. The vest is like 74 grams. You don't even feel the weight of it in your hand. I mean, it's so light and has that like smart features. Like it has the like a hatchback almost like the vent, the top then overhangs so you can uh-huh. get in your pockets. So you can put your hand up there and get into your pockets without unzipping or doing any kind of thing. And it, uh, it, it blocks the wind and the spray really, really well, but you know, it still breathes. Like it's all super, super well thought out. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. With, if with Eche Ando behind it, I can easily believe that this stuff is a cut above. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad that my, my impressions were uh, that it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my week, this, uh, my pick this week is a technology, not a product. Okay. I'm seeing more and more mountain bikes with some sort of remote lockout switch for suspension. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just on the fork. Sometimes it's just for the rear. Occasionally yep. when I get lucky, it's both the front and the rear. I've been riding a bike where the lockout position is with the switch open. So full travel, uh, full travel, you have to push the switch forward to open it. And if you release the switch, you know, kind of the, the spring loaded portion mm-hmm. that locks the, tr- the suspension out, which is to say bump the switch and suddenly your bike goes rigid, which right. is maybe not a great thing on a bumpy, rocky descent. Not what you're looking for now. Not my first choice. Like, say my thumb slips off the dropper post lever and oh. bumps the other button because Is it it's very that sensitive. Nearby. It doesn't take much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason I bring all this up is I was thinking on my ride yesterday when it happened twice. Scott makes a system called Twin Lock. I love Twin Lock. Yes. Go ahead. I real I love Twinlock. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks who aren't familiar with it, Twinlock features a three position switch so that riders have a choice between wide open for descending, reduced travel for pedaling, traction control, and then locked out if you're on the road or making an out of the saddle event uh effort, something like that. The thing is with Twinlock, it's not I know it gets bad mouth. It's not super easy to adjust. And because the switch in question is actually two small levers for a lot of folks, it's a little bit confusing, but you know, all you have to do is understand it. And that's not hard if somebody actually takes time to explain it. So one lever is for lockout. You press that forward and it cycles through the mid portion of the travel or completely locked out. And then the other button releases it, you know, we'll release it back to the mid portion, push it a second time, fully opens it up. And the thing about twin lock is it doesn't just do that. That's only part of the story. What makes it so useful is that in addition to offering an adjustment in travel, a mid, a mid position that almost no one else uh, offers of any sort, it also offers a change in valving so that when you push to that mid position, it raises the bottom bracket. Right. Right. Gives you increased yeah. pedal clearance. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that uh, it's also done so that, you know, depending on what the travel of the bike, whether it's a trail bike, an XC bike, whatever, it's it's relative to what the full travel is of the bike in question. So mm-hmm. like with the Genius, mm-hmm. which is a 150 millimeter bike, or at least one of the versions of the Genius, because they're mm-hmm. like 85 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh so wide open is 150. The midpoint of the twin lock is 100 millimeters of travel, mm-hmm. which is really mm-hmm. great for pedaling a trail bike around. Totally, totally. And then the XC bike, the Spark, 
it's a hundred millimeter bike, but the midpoint on that is 70. Mm -hmm. Now with the genius, I want to say you still had like 20 millimeters of travel in the fork when it was fully locked out. Uh, and the rear was, was completely locked out. I'm not sure what the spark is. I'm, I'm not even sure what the genius is currently. Cause it's been a little while since I've been on it, but mm -hmm. it's just so intelligently done. And I got to say, I miss an intelligent switch like that. And mm -hmm. I miss that change in valving so that, you know, you get that lift in the bottom bracket. And then also one of the other things is a lot of these, when, when they do lock out, if they don't lock out completely, any sensitivity is gone. So all you've got is like a, a, a bit of a release. If you hit something really hard, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just got yeah. some give, but otherwise the sensitivity completely goes and you maintain that sensitivity in the mid travel position, which yep. is just really lovely. I, <laughs> I am missing twin lock right now. I am a giant fan. I, the first time I got it on, I'm like, this is brilliant. I, I wrote it many moons ago and have incrementally since, but I, for all the reasons you say, I find myself using the twin lock switch as much as I shift almost when uh -huh. I'm on, when I'm riding that bike a lot, I'm doing, I'm doing that all the time. I, cause I'm like, I know I hit a section that's, that's going to be very pedally cross country ish. I put it in the middle and then I go downhill and then you open it up and now we're going to climb. Now I'm going to close it. You know, it's just, it becomes very intuitive and it works so well. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of like you're saying, like reaching down, because like so many of the things you got to reach down to your shock and like open it and close it. And it's just 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 not it's not awesome. It's not ideal when you're riding to take a hand off the bar and try to like find the position that you want your shock to be in. But that's where you are a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, it's one thing to take your hand off the bar when you're on a road bike and on the road. And uh, yeah. Not you in know. our trails. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm always looking for the spot. And when you want it, it's not when you want to be taking your hands off the bars. Right, right. It's like, oh, I've got a bunch of rocks. Let's see. Uh, take a hand. No, I'm not taking a hand off the bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and then, yeah, again, we've got all these rocks. Pedal striking. That's mm -hmm. a source of ongoing mm -hmm. complaint. You know, mm -hmm. it's a little bit like spouses and riding too much. We've got a lot of rock and people really have an issue with pedal strikes. So having a bike that lifts your bottom bracket a half a yeah. centimeter. And you can feel it. Oh yeah. It's, it's noticeable for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that results in a change in geometry as well. Yeah. So that the bike actually gets a little quicker handling. Yes. You want it's, something. It more is noticeable. All of it's noticeable. Yeah. yeah. I just, I can't figure why so many people badmouth this. And I, I don't either. I know guys that do too. And I'm like, it's great. I don't know what you don't like about it. Yeah. It's, it's so thoroughly intelligent. And the other thing is like, why is it that you can't find a Scott dealer on every corner as a result? <laughs> These are the answers to the universe. I do not have. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just another philosopher asking all the wrong questions. <laughs> <laughs> and another edition of the pace line folks <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us <laughs> you know before we go something i want to do uh this is a shoot from the hip sort of thing but i want everybody who's willing to and devote the time to us i'd love to ask people to drop by rkp and let us know what sort of cyclist you are. Are you a roadie? Are you a mountain biker? Are you a gravel rider? Are you D all of the above? Uh, are you still fixies forever? I, you know, whatever it is, I'd love to get a sense of that as well as if you don't mind, I'd love to know your gender. I would just love to get a better picture of who we're reaching and you know, who knows how that might influence what we do in the future but I'd love to have a greater sense of who our audience is. Tell us about you. Yeah. Yeah. That we only know the people we meet. So let us know about you. Yeah. And they've all been awesome. So there's that. Yeah, they have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, everybody keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Don't forget our Paceline kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
it makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.